Welcome to What the Midwife Said, the podcast that's all about how babies and families are made. My name is Leah Hazard. I'm a mother, author of the best-selling memoir Hard Pushed, and I am the midwife, in case you were wondering. In this series, I'm having honest conversations with some incredible guests, taking a deep dive headfirst into their experiences of fertility, pregnancy, birth, and parenting. That sheer... (laughs) being in your mind and in your body and in a horrible place and then once one second it's just done yeah and right before it's done you really want to poo yourself as well <laughs> yeah, you do. it's so grim it sounds like 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 a version of wonder woman lightning crotch i quite like the idea of that perhaps that's my alter ego oh i'm so ready i'm gonna be a woman i'm gonna have a baby <laughs> and jamie's like calm down i'm like no but i'm ready and my mummy said to me when i said no she went look Lol, if they are offering you this, it means I think you're going to live and it means I think you've got a future. Yeah, you think, how am I going to squeeze out a whole (laughs) other organism from that small place? The first time round, it was, I was saying to the midwife, hey, I feel like I need to push, I need to push, something's just, you know, and Mm -hmm. it was a lot of, no, don't push, you're going to reverse everything, stop pushing, stop, literally shouting at me. There was a moment in my head where I just went, I don't think I can do this. I think this is going to, I think it's going to break me and I think I'm not going to be very well. And I was so scared. I was so Mm. scared. We're exploring the way we see our bodies and our relationships, the choices we make as we build our families and the highs and lows that those choices can bring. No judgment, no shame just what the midwife said. And I want you to join the conversation. If you have any questions or you'd like to share your experiences, you can find me on social media at Leah Hazard on Instagram or at Hazard underscore Leah on Twitter. Just include the hashtag what the midwife said. My guest in this episode is broadcaster, award-winning podcaster, cancer survivor, and the founder of Girl vs. Cancer, Lauren Mann. Lauren, hello. Thank you so much for joining me today. I feel a a little bit kind of daunted because you're obviously a very experienced podcaster, and I'm like um, embryonic, like fetus podcaster at this point, if we're going with the kind of pregnancy metaphors. (laughs) Well, do you know what, mate? We just make up as we're going along. I guess yes. it's like, I guess it's like being a parent. I guess you just like make it up as you go, don't you? Well, that's a good point, actually. And and when I'm at work and I am kind of looking after women who are maybe a bit kind of daunted about starting off on being mums, I say, you know, best bit of advice is just forgive yourself right at the beginning for all the mistakes that you will definitely make. So I guess that's that's good advice for the start of any journey or podcast. It sounds good to me. I, I'll take that into everything that I can. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I feel like every podcast right now has to start with um, the big question of uh, just how are you? Because I feel like right now with the way things are on any given day, any of us can be having like a complete existential crisis. So uh, how are you today? What What's going on today? Um, I'm good today. I feel really scared when I say that this year. You know, yeah. it's like I feel good today and then some news comes out and pretend you're crashing down again. But um. Yeah, today I'm I'm feeling really good. Um, I've got, I'm on an endorphin high. I've been getting myself back into exercise, um, in like in classes. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of convinced myself since cancer that my body couldn't handle anything strenuous, and yeah. I have gone back and done weights. 
Um, oh, and wow. I'm doing my strength, How does that strength. feel? I feel amazing. I really, really struggle with um, lunges for some reason. I think yeah. my balance is just so off since chemo. Yeah. And, and I, today I'm there and I've got one weight in a bicep curl, the other straight up above my head, and I'm doing reverse lunges and I didn't fall over once. And I was like, oh, wow. progress. And I felt really proud. So that <laughs> yeah. endorphin has carried me through today, I have to be honest. You have spoken um, in your podcast and you, me and the big C, I was listening to you through the week, um, talking about some of the things that have been hardest for you in lockdown and how one of the things that was sort of most isolating um, and difficult and I think a lot of people can relate to this is not being able to see your family as much as possible I see them week in week out if not what twice once twice um, especially my sister and her little bubbers and her little trunks who are basically Aww. my children they're basically mine I tell everyone that because <laughs> I was at both of the births I didn't yeah. call them first so therefore I call dibs so they amazing are my children. yeah they are my babies yeah. how old are they Lauren so my sister's um, eldest, Griff, is three, and then Lillian is just turned one. So they both had birthdays in June and July. So Lil's just got her first four teeth through, so she looks oh, really such funny. Such a cutie. <laughs> yeah. So good. And when you were growing up, Lauren, um, I mean, obviously you're super close to your family now, but like, what, what was it like then? Is it just you, your sister and your brother, um, the three of you? or? Yeah, yeah, it's us three. Yeah. Um, and I'm the oldest, the gobbiest, and the shortest, which will come as no surprise, I'm sure, to most people who know me. The well, I have married into a family of very small, very loud people, so I'm all about that. I'm all about that too, mate. I'm like, yes, I'm here for the, what do they call it, small person syndrome, where you're just like, you're louder because just you, you've got more, less space, so it's got to come out somewhere, the energy, right? Yeah, um, but they say, I don't know if this is a, a saying down there, but in Scotland they say good gear comes in wee bulk, so definitely. Oh, I love that. Do you like that? You can have that one. Thank you. I'm seeing my mate, um, Scottish Gemma, finally, <laughs> is what we call her later. Um, oh, good. So <laughs> I'm going to say that to her. Thank you. You're um, very welcome. Um, but yeah, do you know what? We've always been a really close unit. I'm of Irish ancestry, so family is obviously everything mm-hmm. um, from a good Irish Catholic family. And like, because my mum basically had three kids under the age of five at 26 years old. Wow. So we were very much like caravan holidays doing this going to Ireland to spend time with the family we were such a little tight unit there's only me and my sister's only 15 months between us okay yeah and um, my brother's five years younger so we're all really close in age yeah um and my mum and dad I think as well being really young parents my mum had me at 21 so mm-hmm. um we, we've always been really tight really close to our grandparents and, and the extended family like who live with us in London and my dad's family up north um so yeah we've always been a super super tight unit mm-hmm. um but I will be honest, I think, especially me and my sister, where we were so close in age, we did bicker a lot. And yeah. we did um, get at each other quite a lot because obviously we're quite different humans and we're very close in age. You're stuck in like a bedroom mm-hmm. until like you're adults and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mum and dad didn't have much money. We didn't have a big house or whatever. Yeah. Um, you did get on each other's wick. And it was only really my cancer diagnosis that brought my sister and I really, she's my person now. She's my person. So it's it's given us this bond. We, we always got on. We just maybe didn't like each other all the time. Now, <laughs> now that's just completely reversed and we're each other's person. And especially yeah, with the babies and being able to be there for over the kids has been a lovely blessing, really has. Yeah, oh, that, is, that sounds really lovely. And I guess one kind of silver lining of everything that you've had mm-hmm. to go through. And because obviously you guys were super close, um, 
in age and, and in proximity and everything else and did you like when you were always growing up did you sort of take it for granted like yeah one day I'm definitely gonna have you know three or four kids or I'm gonna have a family of my own were you were you that kind of girl that was like you know pushing the, the dolly in the pram and thinking about having babies or was that not anywhere on your horizon at all do you know what? I'm a weird mix of the two so like I I obviously being little girls and I hate it because obviously it's this gendered idea of what little girls do but yeah of course I had dolls and my play and all yes. babies and da, 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 and and but I was never confident around kids as I got older yeah. um, and my mates had babies I always felt like I'm scared I'm gonna drop them I'm scared I'm gonna hurt them so I just kind of didn't really bother with people's kids and uh-huh. I never really felt maternal I knew yeah. I my my goddaughter turns 10 this year um, uh-huh. and she was what I say is the first baby um I ever had um because she's my best friend's child and, and and it was the first time I'd actually been around a baby and had any kind of responsibility around a baby yeah. um and that made me go oh actually I'm not bad with kids but I mm. never had designs on Nessa I was never one of people's like I will be a mum I I just yeah. thought I will one day but I was never like oh I can't wait I yeah, just yeah. Thought, yeah. Have to, uh, when I meet someone when I'm older and I'm in that point in life that's what you do I was never someone who's like oh I'm born to be a mother Mm. I think more women are are like that than we really sort of give them credit for I mean certainly for me like it was never I kind of thought yeah abstractly like that's what you do you grow up you sort of have a family you have kids um but never ever was like lusting after you know having a million babies and I think even before I had my own oldest daughter who's 17 now I think I'd held a baby like once for five minutes um (laughs) before I started training to be a midwife I think I had held a total of like three babies and two of them were mine so I think um I think many many women are kind of in that boat and you know obviously one of the sort of biggest things that you've spoken about on your podcast and sort of blogs and things is how your um ideas about having a family and when that was going to happen all of a sudden were challenged when you had your diagnosis of breast cancer mm-hmm. um which forced you to, I guess, kind of confront all these ideas about how and when you were going to do these things. And you were, you're 31 years old when that happened, is that right? Yeah, 31 when I was diagnosed, and I'm, I'm 35 yeah. now. So it's, yeah. yeah, it's it's a really, it was a really weird moment mm-hmm. um, to someone say to you, really sorry, it's cancer. And mm-hmm. just in trying to like stop the room spinning and focus on what's going on, they go, do you want children? And you're like, that's rude. What do you mean? How <laughs> Because I had no idea. Uh-huh. I had no idea that this this would be an impact of the cancer. I just didn't know anything about it, you know. Yeah, because presumably at that point in your life, like you were a kind of girl about town. You had your, you know, your career was on the go. I'm, I mean, were you single? Were you even thinking about that side of things, or or no, not at all. I was putting it about. I was having a great time. <laughs> so I was at home until like the right situation for me to move out of period, and that happened in my thirty first year. So off I went. And I lived with my best friends, like was out partying, festivals, East London living. I just got my first uh, managerial role. So I was yeah. in my first like, managerial role in social media. I was really excited, I was doing really cool things. And I then, you know, got this bolt out of the blue and a rug pulled from underneath me. And mm. I wasn't, yeah, again, like I was single. I wasn't thinking about a family. And I, and I was thinking, I've got plenty of time. I've got 10 years. I always think 40 yeah. is the age of, I'm like, mm, if I haven't had a baby, I probably would look into mm-hmm. like IVF or like maybe not have kids. I didn't know. I wasn't really paying it much mind, to be honest. Yeah. I'm and I so think, young. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think for a lot of us, like when we're single, I mean, for me, this is like 
bloody ancient history but when I was single (laughs) the idea of having a child was actually like the worst possible thing that could happen it was like don't even talk to me about that kind of potential event so I can imagine yeah it's like oh my god nightmare can you imagine so then I can imagine like when you got your diagnosis um it must have been really confronting to all of a sudden have to flip that on its head in basically the very first con- I mean, was that the first conversation when you had your diagnosis and you were asked about a family yeah yeah basically they basically yeah. said like this is what happens next you'll have a series of scans or biopsies da, 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 da. and then they were like do you want children and I was like I don't really know and they're like because the thing is this treatment will likely make you infertile your cancer's hormone nearly driven preventative measures mean we're probably going to shut down your ovaries or your um like so your reproductive uh organs are going to be challenged and may never really fully function again mm-hmm. and I was just sat there looking at this woman like what and yeah. it was actually my mum who got me into freezing my eggs so I was offered egg freezing which I know a lot of people don't get um, maybe because they don't ask the right questions or maybe it's because it's not offered because some people aren't like a lot of hospitals won't even offer it to people which I think is terrible because they just it's just they're just you're a bit like a car on a conveyor belt getting through yeah. you know mm-hmm. um but then also um, some people are too late in a diagnosis to be offered that. So I was really, really lucky. And, and that actually became a bit of a a kind of a mast for where I was at in my cancer because I thought mm-hmm. my mum was the one who kind of said to me, like, what have you thought about with the IVF and, and getting your eggs frozen? And I said, I'm not doing it. I'm yeah. trying to start chemo right away. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to get this cancer out of my body, you know. I know quite a few girls who was offered eggs freezing who didn't do it because they were like, like me, they're like, I've never been precious about having kids. If it happens for me, post-cancer, it happens for me, but I just mm. want to get the show on the road. Yeah. And actually, because I was getting a referral to a different hospital anyway, they could turn it around in a couple of weeks to harvest the eggs because where I was in my cycle. Mm. I was like, right, like, let's let's do it. My mom, It was my mum who said to me when I said no, she went, look, lol, if they are offering you this. It means mm-hmm. I think you're going to live and it means I think you've got a future. They wouldn't be offering it to you if they thought you wouldn't be around mm-hmm. to raise a child. Yeah. And I said, they went, the NHS haven't got much money or time. So she thought about that way and she went, you may not want it now, but what would future Lauren want? Think about five, six years time when Lauren, future Lauren maybe does meet someone and she maybe does want to start thinking about having a family. Do you not want to give her the option? And then if you don't want to have babies and you donate your eggs and what a lovely gift to give to someone. And it was like, it was the egg donation bit especially I thought I thought do you know what if it's not gonna harm me in any way mm-hmm. why not and I have I've got nine eggs on ice that's um, good a lot of eggs I took I think it was 11 or 14 and nine were viable so I'm very lucky yeah that's amazing so that was just like the one cycle that you did that was successful in terms of that many yeah. eggs yeah yeah we literally just did uh, I think it was like two weeks of ejections it's like morning and night isn't it and then we went out and headed harvested them and then I started my chemo the following week wow so you yeah. were on a, like a hormonal roller coaster from the start but you know what mate really weirdly I was everyone was like were you really hormonal I wasn't I okay. I, I have suffered with endometriosis it's in my mid-20s mm. um really severe case of it actually it was horrific but mm-hmm. I as a result had a morena coil fitted Mm-hmm. Um, which meant that obviously I had a really low dose hormone as a contraception, but it also meant, yeah. meant that it wouldn't aggravate the endo. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I had the start of the IVF, obviously they ripped out the coil, literally mm-hmm. ripped it out. That's a funny oh story. I told that another time. It was hilarious. Um, but I, 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 did, I don't feel like I had like a, a really hormonal body anyway. So I think that mm-hmm. little influx of hormone that came in to boost my egg production 
I was already so stressed. I had so much going on. I don't think it really, it really uh, manifested or really, really caught on in my brain. Because okay. I think maybe if I hadn't been going through a cancer diagnosis and having IVF, I would have been feeling all the feels. And maybe I was, but I just put it down to stress. Um, but yeah. I never really felt that hormonal. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because I think a lot of women that go through sort of um, egg harvesting and and the whole sort of IVF thing find the emotional roller coaster like the worst because they're so tearful and moody and um, can be angry and upset. But I I guess if you've just had a cancer diagnosis, like that's a cancer diagnosis to me. (laughs) But also, I think as well, babe, I think it's that whole thing of I was someone going through egg harvesting to secure a fertility future that I didn't know I wanted. Yeah. I wasn't precious about, I just wanted, if I got three eggs, great. If I got two, great. Yeah. I, I, I hadn't had designs on it at that point. So I was just like, I'm doing this because, you know, I want to try my best to secure a fertility future. But I, when you're actually paying or going through this medically mm-hmm. for something other, like, because you really want a baby or you've been trying for a really long time and it's not happening, I can imagine that emotional weight and stress is quite mm-hmm. heavy. And it is a different experience completely. So I almost feel a bit yeah. bad in that I was kind of a bit like, not blase, I was blase. I will say I was a bit blase about the egg mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I, I was going through something like cancer, which was terrifying to me. So yes. it, the, the egg harvesting was a process that I had to get through to get to chemo. Um, and that's yeah. how I kind of saw it. It's really interesting now because I'm so grateful now that I did it. Like, I'm so glad I did. Because I yeah, know your mum sounds like a really smart lady. I know, you've got to give her some credit for something. Good old Tina. Yeah, well it's done, Tina. That was a good, yeah. like a lot of kind of foresight there and and really touching for a mum to be able to sort of identify that for her child at such a kind of difficult moment and say, you know, look, slow down, think about this um, mm. and consider it. So yeah, well done, Tina. Yeah, well done, Tina. I think as well, because <laughs> my mum had a cancer diagnosis really young and she's a survivor, mm. she's smashing it. And I think maybe as well for her is, I don't know this. I'm not putting words into mum's mouth, but maybe she would have liked more children, but never got the opportunity because her, of her cancer. So maybe yeah. it was some kind of that instilling that in me and going that you don't know where you're going to be. Yeah, Do you know enough. what I mean. Yeah, and I yeah. really, and I really respect and I really I'm grateful for that conversation with my mum because it it was it was her that made me like made me think and go and do it. Really was. Mm-hmm. And what are your options for actually, like, if and when you did decide you wanted to have a child, have you sort of met again with specialists to talk about how you would do that? Or obviously, you've had to do a bit of kind of reading around it and kind of research on your own? Yeah, I, have, you know, I haven't done that much research, to be honest. I'm, I'm quite yeah. um, fortunate that I've got a couple of women around me. And there's an amazing woman called Karina Diem, who, mm-hmm. um, who has just, she had a baby via surrogacy. Mm-hmm. um her first baby and she just now had triplets wow. um I know for, again um with donor eggs um uh-huh. so she's done it and then there's another woman um Sophie Beresner who is um yeah who, yeah. I Sophie, yeah yeah so Sophie um is a breast cancer survivor um she has gone she's actually treated at my hospital so watching her go through the process of surrogacy after a cancer diagnosis has been really interesting too but I have been offered if I want to come off of my drugs and try the natural way that I can do that. Mm-hmm. They don't see a problem. They would watch me and monitor me and, and support me through that process. Mm-hmm. Or again, if I wanted to go down the um, surrogacy route, I could do that. And that's something I've mm-hmm. considered as well, just because I'd, I'd be afraid, I think, to put my body yeah. through that. But then also it's like, I would like to carry a child, I think. Yeah. I'm not quite sure. Um, 
but I one thing that I feel really blessed and I know it's a weird thing to say in my situation but I just feel really blessed that I know the hand I'm dealt from the butt from the off I know that I'm a girl who's gone through endometriosis mm-hmm. a girl who's, who's gone through really severe ovarian suppression um, who's had cancer um, mm-hmm. and gone through the treatments and that I may very well struggle to have a baby so knowing that going yeah. into it I feel quite prepared for that struggle yeah I think that's a really kind of positive and pragmatic way to look at it because you know a lot of women they don't really confront these issues until maybe they meet the right person or they decide it's time to start trying and then like you say they, we, we don't know at the start of all these things where we stand or what our fertility is like until we actually try and sort of push those buttons and see what happens so to be able to say like, yeah, okay, I know this is where I'm at. I know this is what I'm going to have to do um, is is a really sort of kind of brass tacks, like really pragmatic way to look at it. And I think probably quite a healthy way to look at it, I imagine as well, because then you go, right, okay, this is what my job's going to have to be. And, and this is how I'm going to have to approach it. Yeah. And that's, I always, I always try and look for a bit of light and dark. And like, I think for a lot of people, they'd be like, oh my God, that's so difficult. And you know, what a shame. And it's like, for me, I'm like, well, at least I can do it. At least I can have a baby in some yeah. way, shape, or form, and I know we all can. Um, I know we all can do we we all can do that, you know, through adoption and like things mm-hmm. like that. But to know that I could have my own baby, um, mm-hmm. in terms of my own like natural baby, um, yeah. and biological—that's the word. I couldn't find a word. This is what menopause does to so you. Can't <laughs> find words. Um, yeah. So your your genetic, your biological yeah, offspring. Yeah, I have the option to do. Yeah it that way um is a massive blessing and it may not have been what I thought but at least I have the option so yeah, yeah I do think of it quite pragmatically yeah and allegedly as a midwife I'm told that there is this other secret ingredient that you need to have a baby which is a guy yeah um, so, so I've been told so what has it been like to sort of broach that conversation with the guys in what presumably is and otherwise just kind of normal dating life or getting to know somebody it kind of adds a different kind of nuance to things doesn't it I would imagine it really does I mean I'm a nightmare anyway in terms of dating so like uh-huh. I don't, I'm terrible at dating I just really don't enjoy it I am um, I what aspect like what, what's the worst kind of part of it that you're like oh my god not again it's the disappointment <laughs> you know? yeah. I'm just like oh my god like, like I'm quite happy I've got a really content life and I think before yeah. I always used to as I said many a time before I got ill I op- operated with a legs open heart closed approach so oh, I was very sure. like, come back to mine leave in the morning peace out no yeah, emotional stuff yeah and then that kind of changed because I know that I, I do take a lot from being in a relationship but mm. I only really want to date people I really want to date and obviously mm. with the world the way it is living in London that dating apps and stuff which I hate yeah, you just feel like you're putting energy into places that's wasted, and I can't be bothered with it. Basically, is is the summary. Um, yeah, but when I have, you know, I'm really open about my diagnosis. Like mm-hmm. I'm known because of I'm known at partly. Well, most people would know me because I've had cancer, yeah. and I speak very openly about my menopause and and, and my fertility. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's something that I'm quite upfront about. I don't really make it a thing. Because I'm going to sit them down and go, I've had cancer. I'm infertile. I just talk about it and my yeah. thing is if someone can't handle it they, they can get lost I know a lot of people really struggle to bring it up and they're like worry people what people are thinking I'm like well that's never really factored into someone if someone if I bring it up and they shudder I'm like right, bye I've got yeah. no signs on you I bring I kind of 
have a convert not a conversation really early but I'm quite open quite mm-hmm. early because I think well then they know what what the situation is and I'm thinking if you care for someone mm-hmm. and you love someone and you see a future or you really like someone and want to spend more time with them I think there's a future there this is such a minor it really is like no one's saying mm-hmm. that we can't have kids mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing for bringing up is do I want them yeah I mean, that's a bigger conversation I think so yeah I'm just kind of I feel quite chill with it I don't know if I should be more concerned um but I'm just yeah. not there yet so for me yeah, well I think chill is good I mean chill is where you know without all the cancer that's where you probably would have been at this point in your life anyway so I think you know if you can say I'm chill and I'm going to see where it goes it's probably really great really healthy I would imagine yeah and also I, I feel like as well with like my fertility I'm probably in a better position than I would be if I was 35 without having my eggs frozen and not knowing what my fertility was and you know yeah. feeling that time pressure you know I would be lying if I said I didn't feel it a little bit I've hit mm-hmm. 35 this year and I'm like oh Christ like if I do want a baby I'd ideally like one in the next five years but mm-hmm. at the same time I'm not going to rush it so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just kind of like I'm very lucky that I could be 38 going in and having a, thir- a baby with 31 year old's eggs which is yeah. a really good place to be in, you know? Yeah, right. it's it's nice to be able to know, like you say, you've got that in reserve. You've got these kind of 31-year-old eggs and and they're there for you. They're on ice. They're and on ice. They're on their chilling. And you were talking at the kind of top of the podcast there about your sister's kids and how you're basically, you know, they're like actually your babies as far as you're concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and you said you actually were there was at both of their births, is that right? Yeah, I was there at both of the births. Um with Amazing. my sister and her partner. Yeah. With her. And you still want to have children. <laughs> Are you sure? sure? It did the I always thought I want kids but I don't want to do the birth. That was always been my thing. I don't think I can handle it. Yeah. And then I went and watched my sister do too. And it's intense. Um, yeah. a lot. And it's actually quite scary at times because it's mm-hmm. You know, there's so many facets going on at once, but it's actually the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And watching my watching a woman do it made me realise that I'm more, I'm capable of doing the same. So yeah. being in a room with my sister, watching her do that, that process, and seeing it for what it is twice, mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I know what to expect now. And yeah. I, I'm not going in blind. And, you know, I, 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 my body can handle it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel very differently about it now. Mm-hmm. really weird and also like there's pain relief man like it's fine <laughs> there's pain relief if it gets too much there yeah. is pain relief it's all there for you yeah um so yeah I'm feeling a lot much more open to having a bubba than um like t- since the birth um, yeah that's really good birth. yeah and also just being present like to, to to know that I could turn around to Lily and Griff and be like I was there when I saw you and I put Griff's first nappy on because my sister was like I like was being dealt with having stitches and all her stuff yeah um, so I like put the nappy on because yeah and like just things like that I love it um it's really really amazing but also like knowing the aftermath the shock that you're in mm-hmm. like watching my sister but also me and her partner just being in absolute shock like what just happened there? yeah <laughs> it's amazing isn't it in the room. yeah it's, a, it's the most amazing thing the most yeah. amazing thing and that rush of love mm-hmm. and, and also how different it was with both babies mm-hmm you know, like I said it to my sister, like with Griff, we found out Heidi was pregnant with Griff when I was going through IVF. So okay. uh-huh. it was a really interesting time. And I just started chemo, but as my tumor was shrinking, her bump was getting bigger. And then 
after my surgery and just before radiotherapy we had um, I said we had Griff he is my <laughs> yeah that, that we had Griff and he was this amazing present you know after everything that had been going on in our lives and this terror um, and, and fear you know we we had this amazing little bundle of epic joy and yeah. and it was that instant rush of love like the minute I saw him that love because I spent every day with my sister pretty much speaking to the bump um like being with her throughout the whole process of this pregnancy so I felt a connection to Griff that I'd never felt before and, yeah. it, was, and it was exciting with Lily and I was we were like can't wait for Lily to come and you know we were so excited to meet her and mm-hmm. then but it was different like that rush of love wasn't the same as Griff and uh-huh. it was different Mm-hmm. I like it it took a while for me to get to know her it took me a few weeks and I was like worried I was like why don't I feel the same but I think it was just such an incredible first experience in terms of what Griff meant with my yeah. treatment but mm-hmm. now like the relationship I have with Lillian is such a bond like she latched onto me one day you know oh yeah she did the other one hungry yeah she was hungry. <laughs> I was like darling there's nothing for you there you're gonna be disappointed um but I was with my sister and we, we were, um, we'd gone away and um, I was in my towel. My towel fell down. I was putting her pajamas on when my sister had a shower mm-hmm. and she just latched. And it was, on, it was actually onto my bad boob. Yeah. Uh, and then she pulled off. She kind of looked at me like, what is that? There's nothing in there for me. And, um, and then, and then I thought, Hayley, she latched. And she went, well, cause yeah. she went, she sees you like you feed her, you clove her, you take care of her. And like she went, she just for us the most natural thing in the world to do. And I was like, oh my god, so emotional. Yeah. Um, it's amazing and the bond I have with them two kids. That must have been an amazing moment as well, because like it's quite interesting. You said they like she wanted to my bad boob, and I know that's just kind of casually how you refer to it. But yeah. it must have been quite amazing for to see that for her as a baby, like all she's looking for is just a boob. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it doesn't matter to her bad boob, good boob, who's boob. You know, to to her, your a woman with a boob and there's nothing bad or strange or abnormal about it so it must have been yeah it must have been pretty amazing yeah for a moment I was like oh my god like I'll be able to do this do you know what I mean like, I, yeah. I have a lumpectomy so I'd be able to breastfeed and I was like oh okay and it's it's those kids have just I don't know they've awakened something in me I really I like I, I I would love to have children now like I know that mm-hmm. yeah I don't know in what capacity as I said I'd go down but they are my babies and I always did think you know if I never did have any of my own I've I've got those I've got those kids I've got my godchildren I'm I'm very very blessed in that department having witnessed these two births and then everything that your own body's been through with um, endometriosis before you even had to deal with cancer and then cancer and fertility and now menopause um you've kind of seen more of like women's gynecological lives than most women ever will do in their whole lifetimes in a way yeah I've been quite I've always like I laugh and joke about it but it's like oh and like well my female parts have turned against me pretty much my whole life um like you know it's first of all it was um you know it was I I used to get a lot of like cysts Bartholin cysts and then and then Mm. I had endo and I had a um, endometriotic cyst and you know, when they went in, it was really severe. And then as I got older, my breast turned. I mean, it's like all the like gendered female organs kind of have just gone, nah, nah, yeah. no, no joy. So, I, and I also told you, I guess I never really felt like, what I'd say, this nurturing feeling towards the feminine part of my body, the female organs in my body, because they've, they've just always given me ag. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. I think a lot of women are like that. I think, you know, we don't really talk about it enough, but for a lot of women, we have this kind of contentious relationship with our um, female parts because they're not easy. I mean, they're painful or they bleed or they leak or they get this or that. Even if it's not cancer, it seems like it's almost always something else going on. Um, and yeah, I think it's a really sort of like fractious relationship that a lot of us have with that side of ourselves. Yeah, it is. It really is. And I, it, and but no one really talks about, you know, I think a lot of things, it's this whole, um, like idea of like motherhood or wanting a baby and everyone having the same designs on life and, and, and wanting those things. And actually it's fair to say, like when you've had traumatic experiences with, with, with your body and, and those kind of reproductive areas that sometimes it's, it, it just puts you off. Like you're like, Oh gosh, like, yeah you know is is this something I really want and and I'm just kind of I'm I'm find it really quite interesting having been through everything now like mm-hmm. been in my mid-30s and going actually you know despite it all I would still like to be a mum and and everything that you've kind of dealt with Lauren with with all these sort of issues around your kind of female parts if we can call them that what I mean what do you think what's that kind of shown you in this big journey that you've been on about how society deals with women's health or how we kind of talk about women's bodies as there are there things that you feel that you've learned or that need to be changed in terms of how we look at these things well yeah I just feel like we're all kind of sold this linear version of womanhood and this linear version of reproductive health and this linear version of how things are and there's so much shame around the female body mm. and we're so hypersexualized, aren't we so it's like yeah. the breasts are for men's pleasure the vagina is for men's pleasure. Like it's like mm-hmm. no, this is my body. And actually, what the whole process of going through the endo and going through um, the cancer is like bringing me back to my body mm-hmm. and actually having a relationship with it because it's come out the other side, and I'm really proud of it actually. And yeah, I don't really want to so. sit there and be, you know, that like going, oh god damn you, look what you've done. You know, I get frustrated with my body. I do at times, like. Mm-hmm. You know, my, I'm I'm in medical menopause. You know, my bones ache and creak. I get fatigued yeah. quite quickly. There's things that like really great on me that I'm 35 having to deal with, but I'm here. You know, mm-hmm. and and so rather than spending energy now being angry at my body for the things it's done, because I was especially after endometriosis, really mm-hmm. angry at my body and I felt a bit like a failure because yeah. you know I didn't get diagnosed for five years. I thought that oh, I just can't handle period pain. No, darling, I had a severe, severe condition. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm i really, like, glad that I actually, you know, that that didn't stop me being infertile there and then because mm-hmm. it was so severe when they caught it. Yeah. Um, and then also um, with, with endo, like, it's the knock-on effect. So because I didn't have a diagnosis, then having to go in and, and, and like, not being able to go to work mm-hmm. and then them going, why? And you're like, because I had this episode and they're like, oh, periods. And I think, you know, you're meant to feel as a woman that you're using your periods as an excuse. And it's like, what? Yeah, totally. And um, sometimes women can be even worse about that than other guys. Yeah. Like, and, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, oh, she can't cope. Yeah, it's like she can't cope. It's like, you don't know what a woman goes through. Like, every, but also everyone's got different pain thresholds. Everyone's different ideas of what they can and can't handle are very different. And there's no one to judge. Like, mm-hmm. And then, like, I'd go to the walking clinics and go, something's wrong with me. They'd feel about, they'd do stuff, they'd do a scan, but you can't see end of on a scan. So it's like, yeah. uh, they'd be like, we can't see anything wrong. So I just felt like a failure. I was like, why can't I cope for the period? Mm-hmm. I couldn't have sex with my boyfriend. Then it gave me um, 
is it vaginosis or whatever where you or vaginosis where, uh, vaginismus, where it's yeah, like painful where, kind of muscle spasms yeah where and where you literally just clench up like every oh, time he went yeah. to have sex with me I would clench up because it was so painful because of the endo where it was yeah. to have sex with him he ended up cheating on me and leaving me for someone else I nearly lost yeah. my job because of my all my sick days and yeah. I'm like sat there as a 24 year old woman thinking it's all my fault so now yeah it's horrible and it's only really been lately talking about it more openly I've kind of come to terms with how traumatic that's been um but realizing actually the reason why I felt that because I didn't know anyone else had gone through it I didn't know about it I didn't I didn't know these things and and I think now the world that we live in and like you know social media and the activism circles that I'm, I'm part of and stuff you you I I feel much more supported and yeah it's a very different world when I was diagnosed and yeah it's 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 something that I would always like speak really openly about now because I just I'm done with the shame around it all oh completely completely I mean something I see every literally every shift I go into at work is women's shame around their bodies and you you might think like oh you know your midwife you get to go to work and see women's bodies doing like amazing things and women must be really proud and Mm. and sometimes yes but um, the thing that I've noticed more and more, and it's like one of those things, like once you start noticing it, you can't not notice it anymore, is how often women apologize for just normal bodily functions. Yeah. And this can be a woman who's like in the throes of active labor and she's like literally like glowing, like radiating power and just awesomeness. Mm. Um, but because she's like dripped a bit of blood on the floor, she's like copiously apologizing, I'm so sorry, or because mm. she's made a bit of noise, I'm so sorry, or like she farts, like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Um, but these are just normal, natural things. And I think, you know, it's really good kind of hearing you speak on other pods and kind of things that you've written about um banning that shame. If I could just mm. ban women from saying I'm sorry about their bodies, especially it would be amazing wouldn't it 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 really really would and it's something that I you know I I want to drum into like the younger generation and like when it comes to like my god kids and things like that like I use the correct terms I'll say vagina and I see the look of horror on her face I'm like (laughs) I'm like but that's what it's called babe and it's yours and everyone who's ever been born apart from a c-section has come out of one so Mm -hmm. I wouldn't it's nothing dirty I'm, I'm fed up of women's body's been made to feel dirty and also vessels for men's pleasure like these are ours and we should be so incredibly proud I think the female body is a thing to behold we -hmm. create life in our stomach yeah it's pretty amazing do you know what I mean like come on now like we used to be worshipped back in the days do you know what I mean like women were and we are and I'm just I feel so passionate about women like reclaiming that because the female body like is something so special one of the things that I wanted to ask you Lauren and um, just as we're kind of uh coming around to wrapping up is obviously this podcast is called what the midwife said mm. um which is kind of a nod to the idea that we really remember the things that our health professionals say to us in moments when we're vulnerable like if we're pushing a baby out or mm. if we're being examined for some sort of reproductive condition or if we're having cancer treatment mm. um, I think it's really important for us to realize that words and language matter and people really remember things that are said to them by Mm -hmm. doctors, nurses. So I thought it would be good to ask you if you can think of or remember anything that was said to you by a doctor or a nurse or somebody was looking after you during your kind of journey that's really stayed with you. Is there like, obviously the moment of your diagnosis, those words will 
kind of resonate always but is there something you know was there like a particular a kind word or or maybe even a not so kind word that you can remember that's really really stayed with you do you know what there's two things really the first is when I was diagnosed and a McMillan nurse takes you off into a room and talks to you and they she sat down she went to me darling this is going to be an inconvenience she went this is going to be a massive inconvenience for the next couple of years for you and it just reframed it mm-hmm. she didn't scare me she just mm-hmm. made me feel like do you know what this is going to be a pain in the ass yeah. and the minute I saw it as that the minute I felt like a cope mm-hmm. and that that word that this is going to be an inconvenience Using the word inconvenience to describe a cancer diagnosis, some people might have taken that as behave, but it really did resonate with me because I thought if this was something they didn't think I was going to come out the other side of, that word wouldn't have been used. Yeah. And it was true. And it's mm-hmm. true. And I say that to people and I'm like, think of it as an inconvenience. And that really stuck with me. The other thing that stuck with me as well, and I'm angry still about, mm-hmm. is um, when I got... Um, when I was having Dolodex, which is the drug that shut down my ovaries, I used to have it. I used to go, and I used to have it at the hospital, and then I would go every month and have it at my doctor's surgery. And it's not a nice procedure. It's a really big needle. You have to put numbing cream on. It's a pellet that goes in your stomach, and mm-hmm. it it shuts down the signal to the pituitary gland. So your your ovaries just don't. You're just not functioning anymore. Yeah. Um, okay. So it's quite a heavy thing to go and have to have done every month. It's not nice mm-hmm. because it's not. I was in such hellish throes of menopause. Every side effect really severe. Um, mm-hmm. that it was really it was really it was really tough so going okay. in and getting those injections were a lot anyway and then I went in to see one of the nurses at my doctor's surgery she was done one of things she was a bit older like quite old school in her way I was just having some like the younger nurses a bit more my age a bit more like my kind of vibe and she just seemed quite matronly and yeah. first of all she did the injection and did it so aggressively that I bled quite a lot which was horrible mm-hmm. and then she turned around she went oh yeah I can see you've been having this a while you've got the Zolodex pot pouch and like prodded my stomach oh yeah and like, as someone who was, like, and someone who was feeling really self-conscious about their body anyway because I'm quite a slender girl quite yeah. athletic build and then all of a sudden I've got this little podge going on um because it's just bloating and like just, well, mm-hmm. scar tissue in your stomach isn't it from all the injections of course I just what a nasty cow but then again, the Macmillan nurse, as I said, absolute mm-hmm. angel, babe. Yeah, and my mum my mom still remembers that as well. She always says, I remember her saying that to you. And it really did change things for both of us, I think. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that you wish had been said to you at any point? I wish that I'd gotten my referral to the gynecologist much earlier when I had endometriosis. It took mm-hmm. me five years. So mm-hmm. I, it's not, I don't think it's something I wish someone had said. I think it's something I wish someone had listened to me. You know, I think as well, people owning their own um, their own health and actually fighting and pushing for what they know. They know their body. You know your body better than anyone. Go and get yourself checked. You know yourself. And don't yeah. stop until you've got what you feel satisfied, basically. I mean, I always say to women at work, you know, only you know what it really feels like to be inside your body. Because a lot of times people ask me, well, what would you do? Or, you know, in terms of pain relief, what should I have? Or do you think, you know, I'm maybe not coping and I say well only you know what that feels like and only you know um what what pain or pleasure Mm. or what sensation you're having so yeah definitely know your body something that I would say to to all women and I say to my own two girls all the time even though they hate it 
Well, thank you so much, Lauren, for coming on and speaking to me about all these experiences. I know um, you've been through so many challenges, but um, you speak about them so candidly and movingly. And I wish you all the best as your fertility journey continues. I'll be on call for you to come down and catch the baby when it happens. I'm not tapping you up, mate. I don't know what I'm doing now. (laughs) absolutely I'm 100% there and in the meantime good luck with those reverse lunges I am extremely impressed thanks darling good luck with the pods it's been amazing to talk to you and that was the amazing Lauren Mann and I am completely delighted and flattered to have her on what the midwife said I think you'll all agree she's a very impressive lady who has some wise words about women's health Um, Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the podcast, What the Midwife Said. And please, if you have something to say or a story to share, do get in touch and uh, let me know what you think about what we've uh, discussed on this week's podcast. Again, on Instagram, I'm at Leah Hazard or on Twitter, I'm at Hazard underscore Leah. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave a rating or a review. It really helps other people to find us and tune in next week.